0: Well, I told you there were a couple announcements. I just wanted to highlight a couple things for you. They're all listed in the in the who in the bulletin. Um, on the first and third Sunday of every month, we have uh, a little reception following our service. It's called Coffee with the Pastors. If you've been traveling with us for months, years, you've Heard us talk about this all the time, if you are new or visiting with us i 'd love to share a little bit of time with you uh, right after service we 'll meet in our library, which is just right out the back doors and to your right um, there 's a little blurb about that on the back of your bulletin. Um, we have a baptism service that 's coming up on September thirtieth and if you are interested in learning about baptism, uh, maybe you've never maybe you 've been a Christian for a long time. And never just step forward to say, yeah, I want to declare that uh, publicly through baptism. Uh, I'd love to chat with you about that. If you are a new follower of Christ, um, I'd love to just enter into a conversation about what baptism is and what it means. and. Why I think we all ought to be baptized, and so i 'm going to have a little class right after service next Sunday, which is the twenty third so mark that on your calendar i 'll remind you and and we 'll meet uh, probably in the library right after service uh, next week and then another thing that we talk about quite frequently, and they launch tom- starting tomorrow is our core groups and so We have, I don't know, eight, nine, ten somewhere groups that are meeting uh, throughout the week. So if your group um, starts on Monday, you meet tomorrow, and um, I'm excited about it. We are getting back into our series that we started off the year in, in the Gospel of Mark. And we took a break to go through Colossians and study the life of Joseph over the summer. But we are getting back to our Mark series to finish out. well will take us all the way up to Advent. Ooh, believe it or not, that's just right around the corner. Um, that's kind of hard to believe. If you don't know what core groups are, it's our effort into small groups. I, We, as a leadership team, I think it's critically important that we dig into the Word of God deeper than what we do just on Sunday mornings and that we do that in the context of uh, being in the presence of other believers so that we have people to go through life with share our struggles with, uh, fellowship with, pray with. And so I would encourage you to ask any questions you might have. Uh, Pastor Trent will be out in the the lobby after church, and there's two little iPad kiosks that you can look and see what groups we have available, and you can actually sign up for groups uh, online now. So ask any questions you have. We'd love to chat with you about those. All right. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, or or a device where you can log into your scripture, which is fine. Uh, Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Now, there are some stories in the Bible that are just flat-out bizarre. Like, you read them, and you're like, why is this in the Bible? And I think the story we read today uh, fits that description. Uh, we have journeyed. We we finished off. We we looked at chapter seven, but we skipped over a couple things in chapter six. And so the story that we enter back into Mark in is found in in Mark chapter six. And and I'm just going to read it for you. And I would ask, would you stand with me to honor the authority of the Word of God? <clears throat> this is the only story in Mark where Mark turns his attention away from Jesus specifically, Uh, and he gives this is one of the longer uh, running narratives, one one of the longer stories that Mark tells, Um, and it fits into the story of Jesus, but it's not specifically about him. So, we pick up our text In Mark 6, verse 14, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah. Still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. Now the two verses, verses 12 and 13, talk about... Uh, Jesus sending out his disciples uh, into ministry. Go out, share the good news that the Messiah has arrived. do miracles and things like that. And so what was a kind of a singular movement with Jesus and his disciples all traveling together uh, now has a multiplying effect. And when you have a multiplying effect, the word gets out much quicker and it's gotten all the way to... Herod's throne room, and it bothers him. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought, brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Hmm. Well, what do you do with a story like that? I uh, have been following along with some of the news recently, and I saw this picture of a guy who was... I mean, it was just a picture of a guy with his feet on fire. Right? Literally. His shoes were... In flames, and of course, I wanted to know what kind of stunt this was, and so I, you know, there's clickbait on online. I, I clicked it. Actually, went to a legitimate news source, and it told me about a new campaign that Nike has going on right now, with this new uh, emphasis on their "Just Do It" campaign and and their slogan. What they are What they said is, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Now, that doesn't seem like you'd want to go out and burn your sneakers because of a slogan like that, but I read a little bit further and people were losing their minds because of the personalities that they chose to be the face of this campaign. So people got all sorts of offended, which is our new national pastime. (laughs) Something gets you upset, you just lose your mind. That's the new national pastime. So people are all sorts of upset, uh, upset, and they're burning their Nike sneakers left and right. This guy just happened to not take them off his feet. (laughs) Brilliant! That's really making a statement, isn't it? I don't think, I mean, I think Nike probably was like, good, we got some publicity out of that one. But I was thinking about, I don't want to unpack all that because I know everybody's got their own opinion. Um, But the statement, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Nike ripped that off from the Bible. You've heard that before, haven't you? Uh, except instead of being generic and bland and not naming the something, the Bible said, the Bible names what the something is. Believe in Jesus even if it means sacrificing everything. That's the biblical translation of the Nike slogan. And and so I think that we need to look at this and remind ourselves that we believe in Jesus, and sometimes it costs us. Sometimes it means we sacrifice a whole lot. The story that we run into today kind of is an example of that for Brother John. He was the forerunner of the Messiah, and he had, the, he had this unique just job description that kind of put him on a collision course with the powers that be and he believed in god he had faith enough to know that he had to follow through on that so he believed in that so much he wasn't so worried about sacrificing anything everything if you will so we have this story in front of us it's kind of a story about a prophet and a politician John was, uh, if we're nice, charitable, we could say John was a royal pain in the neck, literally. I mean, he called out the sin of the regime, and they didn't like how he did it. Uh, John was not afraid to send ripples through society. Uh, He was not Afraid to make waves, even if it affected the highest offices in the land. And so we have before us today a... Well, it's a story that has contrasting characters, like opposite characters. We have John the prophet and we have Herod the politician. And the way that Mark presents him and the the picture that we can round out by looking at the other parts of the gospel message Herod is a very deeply conflicted person he, Mark describes him as a man who is uh, he's divided against himself he's um, really he's really a, really a small time ruler he wants all of the people in his area, in his jurisdiction, he wants them to call him king but he's not a king he is a, what we would call a tetrarch. So when Rome came in and took over uh, all of that geography, the kingdom of his dad, Herod the Great, uh, it got split into four pieces. And Rome assigned Herod the quarter piece that included uh, Galilee and Perea. Now, Herod, this is Herod Antipas, And he actually had a long um, time in office, if you will, from about 4 B.C. all the way to 39 A.D. is what the history books would would tell us. So he had some longevity there, uh, but he comes from this family uh, that was, oh, wild, brutal, uh, incestuous. they were people who were prone to debauchery and, and all sorts of things. Um, in this passage alone we learn that Herod Antipas had an affair with his niece. With, uh, so his wife Herodias, we read her name in the text, Herodias was uh, the daughter of one of Herod's half-brothers. And his half brother and his wife had had um, uh, his half brother and his wife, who is Herodias, had moved to Rome because um, they were kind of disinherited. And Herod Antipas and his first wife—this may be this may get a little confusing—but that's Herod's family. So we're going to do our best to unpack this. Um, Herod Antipas and his first wife took a trip to Rome to visit a uh, brother. Um, Herodias, uh, his brother's wife, they kind of hit it off there, ended up having an affair. Herod Antipas divorced his wife. Herodias divorced her husband, who was Philip, and they got married. Now, the complicating thing is Herodias was the daughter of another one of their brothers. So that makes her Antipas' niece. Um, But it also, because she was married to another brother, made her both Antipas' niece, but also his sister-in-law. Now that's... Wrap your mind around that one for don 't try i tried all week long, and I was drawing circles and they <laughs> trying to connect all of the dots let 's just say this family had some serious issues with it. This is a dysfunctional family and and <clears throat> and then we have John the Baptist um, where Herod was slave to uh, the sins of the flesh. In other words, he was interested in money, sex, and power, Uh, if you want to boil it down to that. Herod wants to please himself through those things. Uh, Then you have on the opposite end, you have John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, remember, he's this miracle child of Zechariah and Elizabeth we learn about in the opening chapters of Luke. And they were this barren couple, and they had been praying for a son. And uh, lo and behold, in their old age, they conceive and, and bear a son whom they named John. Uh, and he is to be the forerunner of Jesus, pave the way for, for the Messiah, we find out that uh, John lives a very devout Nazarite life. He doesn't cut his hair. He wears, um, well, let's just say he makes some interesting fashion choices. He wears a, uh, an outer robe or cloak made of camel's hair, uh, and he wears a, a leather belt, which is symbolic of the, uh, the prophets of old. Uh, he lives on the fringes of society, let's just say, maybe out in the wilderness, and he he eats a diet of locusts and wild honey. Uh, so this is an odd duck, John is, um, but he's very devout. He has a... Um, let's just say he has a very sensitive conscience. Uh, he has... Uh, moral courage, um, and he refused to make political accommodations for anybody. I don't care who you are or what position you have earned, it doesn't make you immune from following the known law of God. And John was one who, well, let's just say he was a a straight talker. he would just spit it out just like he saw it and um maybe deep down he was sort of concerned that you, you thought he was giving it to you with a measure of grace but you know the way it come came out for him is just brisk like it is what it is and they knock it off you got to repent and turn back to God. That was his job. Pave the way for the Messiah, which was he was out in the wilderness, he was baptizing people and he was calling them, give up your old way of living, give up your sinful life, let the waters of baptism purify you and and transform you into living in a different way. Because you need to get your life shaped up and ready for Jesus the Messiah so that you recognize him when he shows up. That was his message. And he would say that to the common person and he would say that to the king. And so, uh, we have this collision in our story today of debauchery and piety. The man of the world, man of pride, man of self, and the man of God, holy and righteous. And John was not about to let Herod's behavior go unchallenged he says you're the leader you ought to be setting a good moral example for your subjects your marriage is a sham it's immoral it's a sin against god it's a sin against a whole bunch of people that you've stepped on and he had john had the courage to call all of this out in a very public way now this meeting this meeting could have could have been redemptive it could have been. Herod could have received that message, taken it to heart, and changed his life, turned around, confessed, repented. It, it could have been a redemptive relationship. And deep down, I think John really wanted it to be. The, the problem was that Herod was... He had this insatiable desire to be in control, this insatiable desire for the things and pleasures, uh, physical pleasures that that made him happy. So as I was thinking about, well, where do we go with a story like this? There's like one and a half things that I want to tell you or talk about. Uh, One is, I think this story uncovers a A discussion on our conscience. Um, It's a story that reminds us that, you know, we ought to pay attention to our conscience, because I think God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit can work in our lives by implanting thoughts and ideas in our minds. We call it the conscience— And then we have a choice, once it's rattling around inside, on whether or not we want to pay attention to that or not. We have the choice of whether or not we want to follow through and and heed what the Holy Spirit might be trying to tell us. But I think it also reminds us that we continually need to fine-tune our consciences. That some things in life um, work to deaden our conscience so we don't... We don't rightly hear the way God might be trying to get our attention through our conscience. So we get to this point, Herod, Herod doesn't know Jesus. He knows about Jesus. There's lots of people who don't know Jesus, but they've heard all sorts of things about him. Um, Herod's heard all the rumors. He's got all the reports. Some people thought Jesus was a prophet of old. Uh, some thought he was Elijah, some thought he was John the Baptist, and Herod was convinced of this last argument. He must be John the Baptist returned from the dead, and so in our text, we go through the first few verses, and then we kind of have the the screen ripple, and we have this flashback in Herod uh, to a time when he remembers, hey, I had John the Baptist killed. I took him out. We shot him up. Case closed. Now he you're saying he's back? See his guilt is resurfacing a little bit. I don't think he really felt good about how all of that ended with John. And and so he's there, lost in his thought, lost in his guilt he's remembering that the words of John were words that he couldn't unhear. Hey, King Herod, you're sinning. You can't marry your brother's wife. Look at the law in Leviticus. You need to repent. You need to confess. All of those words were words that he could not And so they were still inside, and now this Jesus person is out ministering, and people are talking about, oh, John the Baptist, and it gets Herod's attention, and it rattles him a little bit. Herod had feared John, and he believed believed that he was holy and, and righteous. But he was fascinated by him. Mark tells us that he liked to listen to John. He liked to hear him preach. But he wasn't ever convicted enough to repent and turn. Herod was one who was heavily influenced by the Greek and Roman cultures. And in those cultures, uh, it was kind of a cultural entertainment to listen to philosophers speak. And so there may have been an element of that as, hey, you know, John's he's pretty entertaining. He gets fired up on occasion. And, you know, some of his message I really resonate with. And I, maybe I'll take a little bit of that. But, oh, this other stuff. He's calling me to, I can't, I see no path out of all of these things that I've already done. But he was fascinated, yet he feared him. Mark says he was puzzled. He was divided. He's living this um, two-faced life, if you will. We're given a picture of how his lust and his pride controlled his life. Mark tells us he has a birthday party. Now, at the time, the Jewish, in the Jewish culture, you didn't celebrate birthdays. But in the Greek and the Roman cultures, you did. And so Herod, wanting to appear, you know, culturally with it, throws a birthday party. Invites all the power brokers all the people in high places, military commanders, politicians. I mean, the guest list is amazing. Everybody knows that the Herod's family throws a, one really good party. So everybody is in attendance for his birthday. And uh, let's just say it was a debaucherous party. And about the time that everybody is just excessively drunk Herodias' daughter, by her first marriage, comes in to dance for all the guys in the party. Now, the the way that these sorts of banquets would go, there was the main party, the the banquet where Herod was, all the men would be in this room, and then the the women that would maybe have accompanied these guys were having a banquet separately in another room. So when at the end of the story, when it says that that Herodias' daughter goes out, to ask her mom um she has to leave the room and come back so this is this is a room full of drunk guys and here comes a, probably a mid-teen girl in and she dances for him and mark says it pleases all of the men um I don't have to put two and two together for you, but Herod's passions are inflamed. He is excessively drunk, and he just lets the words out. Hey, whatever you like, I will give you, even up to half of my kingdom. A drunken oath (laughs) that really he could not follow through on. He could not make the promise that he could give her up to half his kingdom. It wasn't his kingdom give away. Rome had put him in power there. It was Roman territory. He couldn't give away Roman territory. So he made an oath that he just, it wasn't a legitimate oath. But nevertheless, he speaks all of these words. And the girl, she doesn't really care about the kingdom. She runs out, she asks her mom what she should ask for. And of course, Mark tells us that Herodias had been nursing a grudge against John because John had publicly embarrassed her and the family by calling their marriage incestuous, adulterous, and sin. Now, she would have more to lose than Herod because she had already divorced her first husband. She couldn't go running back to him. She really had no place to go if Herod would have heeded John's words, confessed, repented, and said, you know what, you're right. This isn't a good thing to do. So, So she nursed a grudge. Now's the moment. I've been waiting for this time for a long time. Go in and tell him that we want John's head. So she goes in there and tells the king, This is what I want. Talk about Sober Up Juice. He went from being pleased. Hey, this is a great birthday! What a party! This is awesome, Herod. Too totally distressed, just with the request of this girl. It's not what I meant. I can hear him arguing this in his head. I want to give you a gift. I don't want. I, I don't want to murder somebody. I want to. I just want to give you a gift. How about a necklace? Would that be okay? He doesn't want to kill John. He fears him. He knows he's a holy and righteous man. And deep down somewhere, I think he knows that John is right. He's just too deep into his lifestyle to think that he could go backwards. But he's, he's in front of all of the important, the important people in his kingdom. He has, even though he was drunk, and even though he actually couldn't make that oath legitimately, he, um, he had spoken words out loud, and to try and put them back in his mouth would uh, have been embarrassing, and it would have been a knock on his pride, and all of those people would now view him as a weak person person an oath breaker so doing the right thing now collides with his desire for pride and power and position and he thinks that he has no choice he had a choice he, he could have said you know that was a mistake i can't kill an innocent man to fulfill this oath You'll have to choose something else. He, he could have stood up and done the right thing and taken the consequences for that, whatever they were. It's that he wouldn't. It's that he wouldn't. So he has John executed. And we see that Herod is one who keeps ignoring his conscience. It's said that he would listen to John at whatever, at whatever occasion he could. He liked listening to John and and I think that he is conflicted because he hears John and he says, yes, yes, yes. Oh, but that costs way too much. And so the, I think the Holy Spirit was trying to get a hold of him in his conscience. Herod, you can do the right thing. You can turn around. And he kept suppressing that over and over again. He's one that... He says things like this in his mind, I, I believe, and I test them against myself and other people that I talk to, and I, and I think that this is probably accurate. I think Herod was one of those guys who said, You know, I like that, but I'm going to get to it later. I want to repent, I want to confess of my sin, but I always have tomorrow. I will kick it down the road a little bit. I can procrastinate on this. And when I really need it, when I really get stuck, then I'll confess and I'll repent and I'll turn my life around. Have you ever ever kicked anything down the road? It might not be life and death, death things like Herod in this case, but it might be, man, I said some inappropriate things to a friend and I need to apologize and ask for their forgiveness. But that, that's a hard conversation to admit when one's wrong. And so, you know what, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll get around to it. Or maybe you cheated somebody, or whatever it is, it's really easy in our mind to say, you know what, I've always got tomorrow. Tomorrow. There's always later. Herod, I think, was one of these who he liked what John had to say, but in in the back of his mind, he always thinks, I've got more time. I've got more time. I'll do it later. The problem is that later may come, but you may not care. The longer you keep kicking things down the road, the harder it is to turn around and do the right thing tomorrow may come but you may not care at that point have you heard the term uh, sheeple Uh, it's a joining of two words sheep and people sheeple Uh, sheep like to follow things and um, so the term sheeple kind of exists because Uh, there's lots of us who tend to we hear something and we just take it uh at face value and we follow it or you know people tend to do what people see so we see somebody else doing it and and we're we're likely to follow along and and i was thinking about that because in the bible people are compared to sheep a lot and it's not a compliment and I was thinking about how sheep have the tendency to nibble their way lost. They might be gathered in a pasture, and they're all, you know, they're face down to the ground, they're nibbling and chewing, and oh, there's that grass over there it looks pretty good. And this, this is about gone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nibble in this patch over here not paying attention to what's going on over here, that the shepherd is, you know, trying to lead the rest of the flock. That way, this grass looks pretty good. I'm going to nibble here for a while. And then what happens? Oh, well, that looks good. And so the sheep comes over here and begins to nibble over here. And then over here. I'm going to nibble over here for a while. And pretty soon the sheep has nibbled its way lost, totally disconnected from the rest of the flock who have gone off in another direction. And the sheep looks up at some point and says, hey, where'd everybody go? How did I get here? Have you ever nibbled your way lost? You wake up or something rocks your world and you just have a moment and you look around and you're like how did I how did I get here I thought I was on the right course but we've nibbled our way lost you know maybe it's in your relationship with with God you know you you have some really solid months or years and it just seems like you're in tune and in sync with God, and you, when you read the Bible, you're you're getting something out of it, and you come to worship, and it's, you just feel the presence of the Lord in a very real and powerful way. But life has the tendency to get to us once in a while. Have you noticed that everybody's schedules just always full? You know, you look at the calendar and you're running here and you're running there and it doesn't seem like you can ever catch up. Well, when that starts to happen, when, you're, when every moment of your time is accounted for with doing stuff in life, working, you got to work, you got to take care of your kids and get them here and there and, and do all sorts of things, well, some things get sacrificed. Well, you know what? I um I really don't have time to go to that Bible study. I nibble my way over here and oh yeah, that was nice to be able to give up that. I, I gained some time in my calendar and oh you know what? I really need to keep up with my Facebook friends. And so I'm gonna I need, I need that twenty minutes on Facebook to just scroll through whatever. I, I can I can give up. Reading my Bible to do that. You know, Sunday would be the only day that I could sleep in. You know, just, just a couple times, it's, it'll be okay. You know, we, we nibble our way over here, and, and pretty soon we look up, something rocks our world, and we are no longer connected to God because we've nibbled ourselves away adding something over here or taking something away. We just find ourselves that, that we get to moments in life where we just feel like we are lost. Isaiah talked about this. <laughs> Chapter 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're sheeple. It will happen on occasion if we don't pay attention to it. It's possible to ignore the warnings of your heart, the, the, what the Holy Spirit is trying to get to you in, in your conscience, in your mind, and in, in your soul. It's, it's possible to ignore those warnings so much so that we deaden our conscience and we no longer hear those. We just nibble ourselves away from it. He Herod had heard John, and he was drawn to that message, and he recognized it as truth, but it was it was just too much for him to act on. He had nibbled himself away. You know, when you come to church and you hear something that's, that's convicting right out of the Word of God, there's, there's different ways that you can respond to that. One, you can ignore it. And if you've deadened your conscience, yeah, you know what? That's nice. I'll show up and listen. He says something funny every so often. And, um, I really it doesn't apply to me i can just leave you could ignore it um you could get upset with the messenger if it hits too close to home that would be me um you can rationalize it away oh he must be talking to somebody else some of you even try to apply it in other people's lives you know what that was really good and so and so i really wish they were here you should log on to their website and listen to that message and apply what they said. So we kind of take the, the burden of responsibility on us. You know what? I think, oh, that hits a little too close to home. Let's, let's try it out for size on so-and-so over here, see if it works, then maybe. And maybe if you feel convicted or your conscience is sparked in some way uh, when you're here, maybe you take it to the Lord. Say, so are you trying to get my attention? on something and if that's the case you can repent and you can turn I had some people in a Sunday school class in another time in another place that they loved being part of the class every so often uh, they would just disappear for weeks at a time I'd see them in church but they weren't in class and I couldn't figure it out for a while. Then it happened again, and it, was, it happened right after a, a week that we covered some stuff in class that I knew hit pretty close to home. And I didn't see him for several weeks. And I ended up chatting with them about it later on, and, and they're like, you know, that just, that hit really close to home, and we're just not really ready to give up on that stuff yet. So instead of doing the hard work With Jesus, you know, I'm gonna. We're just gonna back away. Take some time. It's things like that where you're nibbling yourself away. But the good news in all of this is that it's never, ever, too late to turn around. You might have to nibble your way back. It it may not happen all at once. Repentance just means turning around and going another direction. You know, if you've nibbled yourself the equivalent of from one side of the stage to the other, when you turn around and repent, there's steps to get back to the other side, right? And so you have to nibble your way back. Start doing things that help you move in the direction that you feel God is leading you to go. The more you ignore it, The farther away you travel, the harder it is to return. But Jesus is out there looking for you. He leaves the sheep that are fine to go off and find the one who is lost, who's nibbled themselves away. So Jesus is out there and he's looking for you and he wants you to return to the flock. God can help you rekindle your conscience. Our MOPS theme this year is uh, Find Your Fire. And I spent some time on Thursday, we had our first, first MOPS meeting of the year, and they asked me to share just a little bit, and I recalled this story when I was, uh, from when I was a kid. I was, uh, I think it was like the first fishing trip that I got to go on with my dad. And I was maybe eight years old or so, and... It was all the guys from the church, and we went out in canoes, and we were fishing for walleye and northern pike and and I was looking forward to just being around the campfire at the end of the day and we got the campfire going, but it was kind of it was kind of drizzly, if I remember right and so after the fire was going, it ended up getting rained out, and we went back to our tents and I was kind of disappointed, but I remembered from our family camping trips that uh, in the morning I could get out of the tent and I could go usually poke around the fire pit and find an ember that still had a little bit of life in it and I could, I could breathe life back into that ember and I could make a little fire out of it for the morning. Well, it had rained and so I got out of my tent and, and I have my stick and I'm poking around and it's kind of muddy. M- muddy ash and I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to get a fire going. But, I don't know, I kept digging around, and below the surface, further than what I would have thought, there were three embers that had been clustered together. And they still had some orange glow about them. And I was excited, and so I brought them to the surface, and, and I was able to find some, some dry you know, kindling and, and little things like that to provide fuel for that fire. And uh, I was able to, to gently blow on those embers and I was able to, to find fire. I was able to rekindle that and bring what was a muddy ash mixture into a little campfire to enjoy in the morning. And I was thinking, you know, there's all sorts of ways to talk about finding your fire. And in the context of mops, I think our church, and mops in particular, and our core groups, are a good way if you feel like the fire is gone, or died down, or you're just a, just a little bit of an ember, the, the way to be rekindled, the way to find your fire is to be near and around other caring believers. So that we can... Uh, consume the fuel of God's Word together, and the Holy Spirit can blow through our midst and add the oxygen that's needed for that fire. And you can find your fire if you feel like it's been gone, but in the context of our message today and thinking about Herod and John the Baptist, John had a conscience, and he was willing to live by it, even though it cost him everything. Herod, on the other hand, had suppressed his conscience. It was deadened. It was just a glowing ember. And maybe you feel, or maybe you find yourself at that point today, where you have nibbled yourself away, you have kicked whatever it is down the road far too long, and you're worried that, yeah, tomorrow might come, but you know what, I don't know if I care. And you're just a glowing ember. That's about to go out. The good news is Jesus is out looking for you. And the Holy Spirit, we've been given the Holy Spirit to blow oxygen into your life. And the Word of God is always here. Whether it's reading on your own or in the context of with another believer or a group or Sunday morning, you need the oxygen of the Holy Spirit and you need the fuel of the Word of God. And God will help you rekindle your conscience. God will help you fine-tune your conscience. And it'll be a message for another day. But Jesus calls us into the business of living out our faith in ways that it may cost us. Herod, well, the something that he believed in was money, sex, power, pride. And he was willing to sacrifice his soul for that. John, on the other hand, was willing to believe in the message of Jesus. And he ended up sacrificing everything for it. So maybe there is something that we can get when we watch inflammatory news believe in something even if it may cost you everything in the context of christian worship and belief believe in jesus christ and you will be saved believe in jesus even even if it means sacrificing everything and people of god said amen, mm, amen.